Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Tuesday, March 9th, 2021. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, is Joe Biden about to name the architect of the current antitrust movement to a seat on the FTC? Are other bad actors swooping in to take advantage of the SolarWinds hack? Is Microsoft going to play both sides of the fence with new Surface devices? And why popular YouTubers are suddenly building their own platforms? Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. I said, what was it, Friday, with the news of the Tim Wu hire, that who President Biden was hiring to staff the various agencies that would oversee the tech industry was telegraphing a lot in terms of his administration's intentions towards the tech industry. Well, this news is just as suggestive of where things are maybe going. Sources are telling Ryan Lizza at Playbook that President Biden has decided to nominate Lena Khan a legal scholar championed by anti-big tech activists, to an actual seat on the Federal Trade Commission. That's the commission that okays things like tech mergers, quoting Playbook. Khan would be one of three Democratic commissioners at the agency which oversees privacy, data security, and some antitrust enforcement at a time when it's faced sharp criticism for not doing enough to police major tech firms like Google and Facebook over their privacy practices and past mergers. At age 32, Khan would also be the youngest FTC commissioner ever. Khan served as an aide to the House Judiciary Antitrust Committee's probe into antitrust and major tech platforms, including Amazon, Apple, Google, and Facebook. As part of the 16-month investigation, Khan honed in on Google's conduct in the online search market. Before that, she was a fellow at the FTC and argued for the agency to adopt rules that would more clearly spell out when companies violate competition law. While a law student at Yale, Khan authored a groundbreaking paper, Amazon's Antitrust Paradox, exploring how the online retail giant's conduct, particularly its pricing practices, could violate antitrust law, end quote. Yeah, reporting on those hearings, I remember pointing out that it was Khan who was sitting in the staffing seats behind the Congress folks, and I believe we might have attributed some of the better questioning in those hearings to her whispering in people's ears. I know that we shared a profile of Khan as a long read sometime before that. I'll link to that long read again in the show notes today. This is literally the woman who wrote the paper that has redefined how people think about antitrust in a tech platform era. Her key innovation is to shift the thinking around consumer harm away from merely pricing harm. No one can argue that Amazon, say, doesn't offer good pricing and convenience for consumers, but folks like Khan think platforms can also warp the market and harm consumers in other ways. So number one, I think this is hugely impactful in the sense of with Wu and now Khan, this would be the equivalent of making Elizabeth Warren Treasury Secretary, if we were on Wall Street, say. And also, I think everyone in tech should consider that any proposed mergers going forward are going to face a higher hurdle than ever before. Khan could potentially literally be a commissioner on the FTC. Quoting one more time, The addition of Khan and Wu represents a massive shift in philosophy away from the era of Barack Obama, who proudly forged an alliance between the Democratic Party and big tech. At the end of the 2008 presidential campaign, a top Obama advisor marveled that Google's Eric Schmidt, then the company's CEO, had worked so closely with the Obama campaign on its tech infrastructure that the work and advice should have been considered a massive in-kind donation. 
In office, the Obama White House and Silicon Valley had a symbiotic relationship. The ascendance of Khan and Wu, two of the most important intellectuals in the recent progressive antitrust revival, signals a break with that past and hints that Biden is sympathetic to the left's view that Obama's laissez-faire policies helped engender the populist backlash that ended with Donald Trump's election. Adding Khan to the FTC, a move that will likely be greeted with alarm by the tech industry, also suggests that the White House is already laying the groundwork for a second act that will include a big regulatory push once its early legislative agenda runs its course, end quote. Back on the SolarWinds hack beat, SecureWorks says a second threat actor is targeting SolarWinds flaws, and the behavior of this actor allegedly has characteristics that suggest the group is based in China. So essentially, if I'm reading this right, other folks have noticed the lock that was picked in the SolarWinds hack and are helping themselves in the door. Quoting the record, This second group's attacks did not rely on compromising the SolarWinds app update infrastructure, but instead exploited an authentication bypass vulnerability in the SolarWinds Orion API to install web shells on companies' Orion servers. The web shell, codenamed Supernova, acted as a backdoor on Orion IT monitoring platforms, allowing threat actors to access and steal data from companies' internal networks. Reports published at the time by the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, Palo Alto Networks, and GuidePoint Security did not formally link this malware to the threat group behind the SolarWinds supply chain attack, which the U.S. government formally linked to Russia, and described any exploitation as taking place in parallel with the broader and much more intrusive supply chain attack. But in a report published today, cybersecurity firm SecureWorks said it found links between the supernova malware and attacks carried out last year in August against Zoho Manage Engine servers using a zero-day published on Twitter. SecureWorks says it's tracking this threat actor under the codename of Spiral and that, quote, characteristics of the activity suggest the group is based in China, end quote. Quoting again, similarities between supernova-related activity in November and activity that CTU researchers analyzed in August suggest that the Spiral threat group was responsible for both intrusions, SecureWorks said today. Characteristics of these intrusions indicate a possible connection to China, end quote. But what SecureWorks did not specifically point out was if the Spiral Group has any affiliations with Chinese government-backed cyber operations, or if the group is just your regular run-of-the-mill cybercrime outfit looking to sell access, plunder, or ransom corporate environments, end quote. Leaked documents suggest Microsoft is planning to release the Surface Laptop 4 in both AMD and Intel variants. The AMD models will come with Ryzen 4000 chips, while the Intel models will be 11th gen chips themselves, quoting The Verge. Apart from the chips, it seems like very little is changing between the Laptop 3 and Laptop 4. Here are some other tidbits we've learned from WinFutures report. There will be 13.5 and 15-inch models available. These are also the models that the Surface Laptop 3 offered. All models have a 3 to 2 aspect ratio. The resolution of the 13.5-inch device will be 2256 by 1504, and the 15-inch will be 2496 by 1664. These are the same resolutions that the Surface Laptop 3 offered. The 3 to 2 aspect ratio has been a staple of Microsoft Surface products for a few years now. RAM maxes out at 32 gigabytes, but it looks like if you want that much memory, you'll need to get an Intel model. The AMD configurations only go up to 16 gigabytes. Storage maxes out at one terabyte. 
Similarly, it looks like only the Intel models will offer that much storage. AMD laptops will max out at 512 gigabytes. If these leaks are true, I'm expecting Microsoft will take a similar approach to the Surface Laptop 4 as it did to the Surface Book 3 last spring. That is, bump up the chips with minimal changes to the chassis, end quote. Apple has released iOS 14.4.1 and macOS 11.2.3 to address a WebKit flaw that could allow hackers to run arbitrary code on devices via malicious web content. So this is one of those download this as soon as possible things, quoting Engadget. When you download the updates on your devices, all you'll get is a terse explanation from Apple saying that they're important. However, the support pages spotted by 9to5Mac provide more information. Both updates address a memory corruption issue within WebKit, the engine that powers Apple's Safari browser. The vulnerability, which was discovered by security researchers from Google and Microsoft, may have allowed bad actors to execute code on your devices using maliciously crafted web content. On iOS... You can manually download an update to your iPhone or iPad by opening the Settings app and then tapping General, followed by Software Update. Meanwhile, on macOS, open the Systems Preferences menu and click on Software Update, end quote. Let's be real for a minute. Most guys would wear a t-shirt every day of their lives if they could. The problem is that most t-shirts are not acceptable to wear at work or out on a hot date night. But today's sponsor, Cuts, has finally changed that. Cuts t-shirts are such high-quality, wrinkle-free, and so buttery soft that you can look like you're dressing up even when you're dressing down. Yeah, you heard that. Wrinkle-free. You never have to substitute comfort for fashion ever again. If you see me in a t-shirt, it's likely one from Cuts. I'm also a huge fan of their AO5 pocket pants, the right sort of step up from jeans without going all the way into dress pants, like literally my ideal Venn diagram of professional looking but comfortable feeling. When you touch something from Cuts, you can immediately feel the quality. Their proprietary fabric blends are ridiculously soft and breathable, they don't wrinkle, and they look way more expensive than they actually are. For a limited time, our listeners get 20% off your entire order when you use code RIDE at checkout. That's 20% off your order at cutsclothing.com with promo code RIDE. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Experience the perfect blend of style and comfort with Cuts Clothing. Cutsclothing.com, promo code RIDE for 20% off. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride.
In all of the talk of the creator economy taking off now, there are two big narratives at play simultaneously that are nonetheless somewhat in conflict with each other. One of the narratives is that creators are taking control of their own destiny to spin up their own businesses. The other narrative is that they are doing so on top of the existing platforms because the platforms have all the distribution and are suddenly in the business of allowing creators to monetize on their platforms. But if the revolution is merely the big platforms simply rolling out better tools for creators to make money, then that doesn't feel quite so revolutionary, does it? Something, something, you're not really in control of your own destiny if your business is entirely built on top of someone else's business. So just keeping my eye on stories like this one from the BBC, quote, Google-owned YouTube gets most episodes of Linus Tech Tips a week late. Now they debut on Linus's own website called Floatplane, which attracts a much smaller crowd. Quote, Google has been very, very good to me, Linus says but it's a lot of eggs in one basket, end quote. And with a staff of two dozen, he cannot rely on the company to continue being what he calls his benevolent overlord. He is not the only YouTube star looking for alternatives. For a long time, there have been tensions between those creating content on YouTube and the company providing the platform, ranging from disputes about ad revenue to copyright problems and even rows about the way videos are recommended to people. Many successful YouTubers are now sizable companies in their own right and are seeking to safeguard their futures. For the last few years, Linus and co-worker Luke Lafreniere have been investing in their own platform called Floatplane. The pair stresses that it is not and never will be a YouTube competitor. But they nonetheless hope to provide a platform for existing video creators with a loyal audience who might be willing to pay a few dollars a month to directly support the video makers they love. It's only going to be your really hardcore fans, Luke explains. There is no algorithm. They're going to be served everything you make, end quote. Mostly focused on technology video makers for now, the platform is not open to everyone. The duo say it is growing slowly and they are putting any profit back into building the site, end quote. The piece then goes on to describe other new creator platforms that are popping up everywhere for YouTube stars, and they all seem to be part of the same trend. Sure, you might give your broadest stuff to the algorithms to feed the beast that is scale, but your best fans, your true fans, will come for more exclusive content that you serve yourself on your own platform, and by the way, charge for yourself without giving too much of a cut to a third party. So you see why I say these trends are running in parallel, but are also in direct conflict? Let me quote another example from the piece. Nurturing a community is part of why LA-based visual effects studio Corridor Digital built its own fan-powered site. Its founders, Sam Gorski and Nico Perringer, are filmmakers, but started publishing on YouTube a decade ago while they toured the LA circuit to get film projects made. Today, their multi-person studio is hugely popular on YouTube for its videos that break down the best and worst Hollywood visual effects and stunts and show their audience how they make their own short films. On the Corridor Digital site, fans earn producer points with their monthly $4 subscription, which they can put towards funding videos they would like to see made. The audience can decide whether to back an instructional course on how to make videos or lend support to a visual effects-laden Dungeons & Dragons campaign instead. YouTube has been our path, and it's been a great path, says Christian Fergerstrom, one of the studio's producers, but he said success eventually led the company to ask, what is stopping us from doing this ourselves, end quote. Well, nothing really, except for, again, that whole distribution problem. Though, if you've solved that, or again, if you use the platforms and the algorithms as the chum to sort of attract an audience, 
then I guess it works to create your own platform to serve the true fans that you carved out of that scale that was provided by the platforms. Point I'm making here is twofold. Number one, when we talk about the creator economy being birthed right now, it's not just about TikTok adding ways to tip creators or Twitter doing subscriptions or Clubhouse eventually finding, I don't know, a business model selling tickets or something like that. Those are just tools to monetize on top of the existing platforms. The real revolution would be if each creator had a way to create their own platforms. And number two, it's interesting to me the degree to which it is the algorithms themselves that seem to be the glass ceiling that creators are increasingly bumping their heads against and thus incentivizing them to strike out on their own. Quoting one last time, One of the most successful rival platforms, Nebula, was built on a simple premise, giving creators independence from YouTube's algorithms. Quote, Starting a business on YouTube is like opening a brand new store in a shopping center, founder Dave Wiskus explains, except you might come in to open your shop one day and the shopping center has just moved you to the other end where there are no customers and there's no foot traffic, and you'll never know why, end quote. On Nebula, subscribers get access to everything for $5 a month. The company says it has 200,000 paying subscribers. There are no content recommendation algorithms, and video makers are not penalized if they do not publish the quote-unquote right kind of content, end quote. Finally today, a bit of a product review, or an interesting gadget. If you're like me, then you don't want to touch... Amazon's Ring smart doorbell with a 10-foot pole, for obvious reasons. I don't also want to go into the Nest ecosystem again. So if you're, like me, pining away for a smart doorbell that maybe would exist in Apple's theoretically privacy-focused HomeKit ecosystem, say hello to the Circle View doorbell from Logitech. It's apparently the closest thing you can get to an Apple doorbell, apparently for better and worse. The negatives are it only comes in a wired version, no battery. If you're on an Android device, you can't use this thing because you can't view the video feed or even get notifications. It only works on HomeKit, so no Alexa integration, say, or anything like that. And it only comes in black, so no matching your style or decor. But, quoting The Verge... There are obvious advantages if you're okay with the Circle View's limitations. Nothing is ever sent to Logitech's cloud, so you don't have to worry about yet another privacy policy or potential security issues. The video that's stored in iCloud's HomeKit secure video service is end-to-end encrypted, so only you and those you give access to in the Home app can view it. It's about the closest thing you can get in terms of security to local storage for video clips, which, no, the Circle View doesn't support while still having easy access to them from anywhere you might want to be. You also don't have to worry about police partnerships or unsavory social networks tied to your doorbell's camera, as you might with other devices. The Circle View's privacy features and platform limitations align so closely with the features of products that Apple itself produces that you could almost imagine an Apple logo on the front of the doorbell instead of Logitech's. It's fast, performs the basics very well, and provides a sharp, detailed view of your doorway from your phone. If that's what you've been waiting for from a video doorbell and you're not turned off by its limitations, then the Logitech Circle View is an easy choice, end quote. I was catching up with episodes of the Kotki Ride Home during my daily treks across the breadth of Brooklyn, both yesterday and today. 
If you're not a listener, if you've never given our sister podcast a chance, you're really missing out because Jack has been killing it lately. He recently did a segment diving into NFTs to specifically ask the question of how they might change how we buy music and movies. Also, did you know that scientists recently came up with a theoretical model that suggests building an actual real-life warp drive might be physically possible? Also, yesterday, Jack dove into the concept of whether or not The Simpsons, which just got renewed for its umpteenth season, might theoretically be able to go on forever if they replace The Simpsons voice cast with AI deepfake voices. And he also got into that story that you might have seen on social media about the New York City woman who found a hidden apartment behind her medicine cabinet. I love the cocky ride home. Even if we didn't produce it ourselves, I'd be such a fan of it. It's just like this show. It's a daily news rundown, except it's not just about tech. It's about everything. Everything cool that happened today in the world. If you've not given it a try, I highly encourage you to search your podcast app now for Kotki Ride Home. That's K-O-T-T-K-E, by the way. Kotki Ride Home. Link also in the show notes. Talk to you tomorrow.